This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Steve Brown. The Age of Reason by Thomas Paine. Part 2. Section 16. I come now to that part of the evidence in those books that respects the pretended appearance of Christ after this pretended resurrection. The writer of the book, Matthew, relates that the angel that was sitting on the stone at the mouth of the sepulchre said to the two Marys, chapter 28, verse 7, Behold, Christ has gone before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And the same writer at the next two verses, 8 and 9, makes Christ himself to speak to the same purpose to these women immediately after the angel had told it to them, and that they ran quickly to tell it to the disciples. And at the sixteenth verse it is said, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But the writer of the book of John tells us a story very different to this. For he says, chapter 20, verse 19, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, that is, the same day that Christ is said to have risen, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst of them. According to Matthew, the eleven were marching to Galilee to meet Jesus in a mountain by his own appointment at the very time when, according to John, they were assembled in another place, and that not by appointment, but in secret, for fear of the Jews. The writer of the book of Luke contradicts that of Matthew more pointedly than John does. For he says expressly that the meeting was in Jerusalem the evening of the same day that he, Christ, rose, and that the eleven were there. See Luke chapter 24, verse 13, 33. Now, it is not possible, unless we admit these supposed disciples the right of willful lying, that the writer of those books could be any of the eleven persons called disciples. For if, according to Matthew, the eleven went into Galilee to meet Jesus in a mountain by his own appointment on the same day that he is said to have risen, Luke and John must have been two of that eleven. Yet the writer of Luke says expressly, and John implies as much, that the meeting was that same day in a house in Jerusalem and, on the other hand, if, according to Luke and John, the eleven were assembled in a house in Jerusalem, Matthew must have been one of that eleven. Yet Matthew says the meeting was in a mountain in Galilee, and consequently the evidence given in those books destroys each other. The writer of the book of Mark says nothing about any meeting in Galilee, but he says, chapter 16, verse 12, that Christ, after his resurrection, appeared in another form to two of them, as they walked into the country, 
and that these two told it to the residue who would not believe them. Luke also tells a story in which he keeps Christ employed the whole of the day of this pretended resurrection until the evening and which totally invalidates the account of going to the mountain in Galilee. He says that the two of them, without saying which two, went that same day to a village called Emoz, three score furlongs, seven miles and a half, from Jerusalem, and that Christ, in disguise, went with them, and stayed with them unto the evening, and supped with them, and then vanished out of their sight, and reappeared that same evening at the meeting of the eleven in Jerusalem. This is the contradictory manner in which the evidence of this pretended reappearance of Christ is stated. The only point in which the writers agree is the skulking privacy of that reappearance. For whether it was in the recess of a mountain in Galilee or a shut-up house in Jerusalem, it was still skulking. To what cause, then, are we to assign this skulking? On the one hand, it is directly repugnant to the supposed or pretended end, that of convincing the world that Christ had risen. And on the other hand, to have asserted the publicity of it would have exposed the writers of those books to public detection. And, therefore, they have been under the necessity of making it a private affair. As to the account of Christ being seen by more than 500 at once, it is Paul only who says it, and not the 500 who say it for themselves. It is therefore the testimony of but one man, and that, too, of a man who did not, according to the same account, believe a word of the matter himself at the time it is said to have happened. His evidence supposing him to have been the writer of the 15th chapter of Corinthians, where his account is given, is like that of a man who comes into a court of justice to swear that what he had sworn before is false. A man may often see reason, and he has, too, always the right of changing his opinion, but this liberty does not extend to matters of fact. I now come to the last scene, that of the ascension into heaven. Here, all fear of the Jews, and of everything else, must necessarily have been out of the question. It was that which, if true, was to seal the whole, and upon which the reality of the future mission of the disciples was to rest for proof. Words, whether declarations or promises, that passed in private, either in the recess of a mountain in Galilee, or in a shut-up house in Jerusalem, even supposing them to have been spoken, could not be evidence in public. It was therefore necessary that this last scene should preclude the possibility of a denial and dispute, and that it should be, as I have stated in the former part of the Age of Reason, as public and as visible as the sun at noonday. At least it ought to have been as public as the crucifixion is reported to have been. But to come to the point. In the first place, the writer of the book of Matthew does not say a syllable about it. Neither does the writer of the book of John. 
This being the case, is it possible to suppose that those writers, who affect to be even minute in other matters, would have been silent upon this had it been true? The writer of the book of Mark passes it off in a careless, slovenly manner, with a single dash of the pen, as if he was tired of romancing or ashamed of the story. So also does the writer of Luke, and even between these two, there is not an apparent agreement as to the place where this final parting is said to have been. The book of Mark says that Christ appeared to the eleven as they sat at meat, alluding to the meeting of the eleven at Jerusalem. He then states the conversation that he says passed at that meeting, and immediately after says, as a schoolboy would finish a dull story. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. But the writer of Luke says that the ascension was from Bethany, that he, Christ, led them out as far as Bethany and was parted from them and was carried up into the heaven. So also was Muhammad. And as to Moses, the apostle Jude says, verse 9, that Michael and the devil disputed about his body. While we believe such fables as these, or either of them, we believe unworthily of the Almighty. I have now gone through the examination of the four books ascribed to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when it is considered that the whole space of time, from the crucifixion to what is called the ascension, is but a few days, apparently not more than three or four, and that all the circumstances are said to have happened nearly about the same spot, Jerusalem. It is, I believe, impossible to find in any story upon record so many and such glaring absurdities, contradictions, and falsehoods as are in those books. They are more numerous and striking than I had any expectation of finding when I began this examination and far more so than I had any idea of when I wrote the former part of the Age of Reason. I had then neither Bible nor Testament to refer to, nor could I procure any. My own situation, even as to existence, was becoming every day more precarious, and as I was willing to leave something behind me on the subject, I was obliged to be quick and concise. The quotations I then made were from memory only, but they are correct, and the opinions I have advanced in that work are the effect of the most clear and long-established conviction that the Bible and the Testament are impositions upon the world, that the fall of man, the account of Jesus Christ being the Son of God, and of his dying to appease the wrath of God, and of salvation by that strange means, are all fabulous inventions, dishonorable to the wisdom and power of the Almighty, that the only true religion is deism, by which I then meant, and mean now, the belief of one God, and an imitation of his moral character, or the practice of what are called moral virtues, and that it was upon this only, so far as religion is concerned, that I rested all my hopes of happiness hereafter. So say I now, and so help me God. But to return to the subject, though it is impossible at this distance of time to ascertain as a fact 
who were the writers of those four books, and this alone is sufficient to hold them in doubt, and where we doubt we do not believe. It is not difficult to ascertain negatively that they were not written by the persons to whom they are ascribed. The contradictions in those books demonstrate two things. First, that the writers could not have been eyewitnesses and earwitnesses of the matters they relate, or they would have related them without those contradictions, and consequently, that the books have not been written by the persons called apostles, who are supposed to have been witnesses of this kind. Secondly, that the writers, whoever they were, have not acted in concerted imposition, but each writer separately and individually for himself and without the knowledge of the other. The same evidence that applies to prove the one applies equally to prove both cases, that is, that the books were not written by the men called apostles, and also that they are not a concerted imposition. As to inspiration, it is altogether out of the question. We may as well attempt to unite truth and falsehood as inspiration and contradiction. If four men are eyewitnesses and earwitnesses to a scene, they will, without any concert between them, agree as to time and place when and where that scene happened. Their individual knowledge of the thing, each one knowing it for himself, renders concert totally unnecessary. The one will not say it was in a mountain in the country, and the other at a house in town. The one will not say it was at sunrise, and the other that it was dark. For in whatever place it was, at whatever time it was, they know it equally alike. And, on the other hand, if four men concert a story, they will make their separate relations of that story agree and cooperate with each other to support the whole. That concert supplies the want of fact in the one case, as the knowledge of the fact supersedes, in the other case, the necessity of a concert. The same contradictions, therefore, that prove there has been no concert, prove also that the reporters had no knowledge of the fact, or rather of that which they relate as a fact, and detect also the falsehood of their reports. These books, therefore, have neither been written by the men called apostles, nor by impostors in concert. How, then, have they been written? End of section 16.